Good afternoon, everyone. We're looking for Senator Markey, but we're going to go ahead and begin. Um, before he gets here, he's going to do introduction of Vicki Kennedy today. Um, at this point, the hearing of the Foreign Relations Subcommittee on European Affairs will come to order, and I'd like to recognize the ranking member, Ron Johnson, who is also here. We are here today to consider nominations for four important positions representing the United States in several partner countries in Europe. Mr. Jeffrey Hovenert to be ambassador to the Republic of Kosovo, Mr. Michael Murphy to be ambassador to Bosnia and Herzegovina, Ambassador Julissa Reynoso, Pantaleon, I'm sorry, Nita, for massacring your last name, uh, to be ambassador to the Kingdom of Spain and the Principality of Andorra, and Mrs. Miss Victoria Reggie Kennedy to be ambassador to the Republic of Austria. So let me get, begin by congratulating each of you on your nomination, and thank you for agreeing to take on the commitments of being an ambassador of the United States should you be confirmed. Let me also welcome your relatives who are here. I always think of hearings for ambassadorial candidates as kind of like a wedding. Everybody is happy when they're here. Um, I wanted to take a moment also today to celebrate the diversity of our nominees appointed by this administration. I've participated in a number of nomination hearings this year, and I've been stuck, struck by the diversity of the appointments, which reflects the diversity of our country. Of the 21 nominees who have been confirmed by the Senate, 52% are women, over half of the State Department nominees are people of color, and one in three nominees is either an immigrant or a child of immigrants. So you all are in very good company. The nominees today are not only well qualified, but you offer a unique perspective that will serve to strengthen our ability to advance US policy interests overseas. I have been heartened to hear the stories of nominees who were born outside of the United States or whose parents immigrated to America in hopes of providing a bright future for their children. Your experiences not only enrich America, they also advance America's interests overseas as a living testament to America's values in action. Thank you all for agreeing to stand as candidates for these positions. Now, I think we will go ahead and begin opening statements and take a break if Senator Markey is able to um, come here so he can do the introduction. I also want to recognize former Senator Chris Dodd, who is hiding in the audience. Thank you very much, Senator Dodd, for being here. It's nice to see you, although I almost didn't recognize you, um, but it's great to have you here. I want to also point out that we are in the middle of votes, and um, so at some point, Senator Johnson and I will take our leave to go vote, and we will hand the gavel to each other during that time. Again, Thank you for agreeing to be considered for these posts. For more than two decades, Kosovo has demonstrated the importance of the NATO alliance. The U.S. and Kosovo's strong transatlantic and regional security cooperation is supported by the NATO-led Kosovo force, which has maintained peace and security in the country for more than 20 years. In the coming years, Kosovo must work with Serbia to reach a final comprehensive agreement to normalize relations. This is paramount to a more stable region. Unfortunately, corruption remains a problem in Kosovo, and as a committed ally, the U.S. should push Kosovo to address the underlying causes of corruption. 
Mr. Hovener's distinguished career in the Foreign Service has prepared him for the geopolitics of the Balkans, I am sure. He currently serves as the Deputy Chief of, of Mission in Ankara, Turkey, and has previously served in Berlin, Lima, Athens, and Vienna, to name a few places. I'm sure that your deep diplomatic experience will serve you well in Kosovo. I'm going to do introductions for um, the other nominees, and then we'll ask you to give your opening statement. Um, next, we have Michael Murphy, who is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service with a distinguished history with the department. He has been nominated to be the U.S. Ambassador to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Like Kosovo, Bosnia has come a long way since the breakup of the Soviet Union. The Dayton Agreement continues to provide the framework for governance in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and I was glad to see earlier this year the appointment of a new high representative to oversee civil aspects of the agreement. If confirmed, I hope that a priority of yours will be addressing unemployment, particularly among the young people in the country. While down compared to recent years, the youth unemployment rate in Bosnia is at an abysmal 34%. Bosnia and Herzegovina must continue to work with the U.S. and the international community to provide economic opportunities for its young people and prevent creeping, malign foreign influence from taking advantage of its economic situation. Julissa Reynoso Pantaleon, we welcome you back to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. You previously served as ambassador to Uruguay, and we welcome your nomination to the Kingdom of Spain and the Principality of Andorra. Ambassador Reynoso, you have undoubtedly followed Spain's generous efforts in supporting the evacuation of vulnerable and at-risk Afghans through the use of two military bases. Spain is a long-standing strong ally of the United States, and we hope your role will strengthen these bilateral ties. As a NATO ally, we are, of course, grateful for all of Spain's security contributions, but we continue to urge the country to increase its defense spending to support NATO's collective efforts in addressing shared challenges. Although the war in Afghanistan has now ended, NATO must divert its attention to confront new pressing challenges, and we welcome Spain's partnership to help NATO rise to this challenge. Ms. Reynoso, I Additionally, hope that your current role as First Lady Jill Biden's Chief of Staff and previous role as co-chair of the White House Gender Policy Council will help you ensure that gender equality and women's empowerment remains a concern across U.S. foreign policy. I'm now going to turn it over to Senator Markey to introduce Victoria Kennedy, and then I will ask um, Senator Johnson if he will give his opening statement. Senator Markey. Thank you, Senator Shaheen. Uh, and uh, it's my pleasure to uh, introduce my friend, Victoria Reggie Kennedy, the President's nominee to be U.S. Ambassador to Austria. I'd like to welcome her son, Karen, who's here with us today. I also understand that Vicky's daughter, Caroline, and her husband, Alex, as well as Vicky's mother, Doris, are all watching on television today. And we know Vicky's late father, Judge Edmund Reggie, would be so proud of her. Vicki is a public servant at heart, which is how she's fused her intellect um, uh, with her um, desire to serve. She is an advocate for art education, has a track record of working on initiatives that empower women and girls to promote a more inclusive society. While her roots are in Louisiana, where she was born, raised, and educated, Vicki has become 
a very valuable member of our community in Massachusetts. She's a member of the Board of Directors of the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce and serves on the board of the New England Council. Her legal and business experience make her perfectly poised to represent the United States in Austria, one of the top 10 fastest growing US trade partners and foreign direct investors as of 2019. From 2015 to 2020, direct foreign investment in the United States has grown by more than 40%, sustaining an estimated 34,000 jobs uh, in our communities. The modern US-Austria relationship forged in the aftermath of World War II is built on a commitment to our shared values of democracy, rule of law, and the protection of human rights. These are values that uh, Vicki Kennedy understands and promotes as the president of the board and co-founder of the Edward M. Kennedy Institute, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization headquartered in Boston that educates the public about the unique role of the United States Senate in our system of government. <laughs> Established in honor of her late husband and our former colleague, Ted, the Kennedy Institute has won both domestic and international awards for its innovative and interactive design and approach to encouraging participatory democracy, invigorating civil discourse, and inspiring the next generation of citizens and leaders to engage in the civic life of their communities. Vicki's commitment to public service, good governance, and civic engagement will serve her well as she represents the United States and Austria at a time when our cooperation with the European Union is vital as we grapple with the mutual challenges of the pandemic, rising authoritarianism and nationalism, and the climate crisis. Vienna is also home to the International Atomic Energy Agency and the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, both of which are key to President Biden's commitment to reinvigorate U.S global leadership with a focus on diplomacy and rebuilding alliances. Vicki's political skill will make her an important asset to the president's commitment to build back a better foreign policy after a period of tumults unique in our history. And if I may quote my longtime delegation partner and Vicki's beloved husband, Ted, this is what he said. Together, we have known success and seen setbacks, victory and defeat but we have never lost our belief that we are called on to a better country in a newer world. Vicki has spent her life working for a better country. I have no doubt that Vicki will bring all of her skills to support this administration. So congratulations on your nomination. I look forward to more years of your dedicated uh, service to our great nation. And I recommend uh, with no conditions uh, that this committee give her a unanimous vote of support to take on this very important position. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you very much, Senator Markey. I'll now turn to Senator Johnson for his opening statement before asking each of our nominees to give their statements. Well, thank you, Madam Chair. In the interest of time, I'll just ask that my prepared opening statement be entered in the record. And really just want to uh, welcome the nominees uh, and their families. Uh, thank you for your past service, uh, all of you. Uh, nominees and family members. I think you all realize, particularly those that have already served in similar capacities, that this is a this commitment, this is a act of service and sacrifice on the part of the entire family, and we truly appreciate it. Uh, I do want to say thank you to those that uh, took the time to, to meet with me. Uh, I'm always struck, not only just today, but uh, in previous meeting with the uh, ambassador nominees, 
how they generally express what an honor it is to represent the United States to the chosen country. Um, it's just true. Uh, I, think, I think we all recognize what a unique nation America is. And in discussions, uh, whether it's uh, with, with Kosovo or uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, these are nations that are struggling with democracy. And the advantage of representing the United States, as we discussed, is that they generally recognize America as wanting to be helpful. We're not there seeking some advantage. We're not there trying to control things. That take. We just want what's best for the people of those countries. And so that makes it a pretty unique experience being U.S.'s ambassador to, to any nation. And uh, I think my only other comment, have these in our meetings as well, is we do rely on ambassadors and members of the embassies to communicate with uh, members here so that we can be helpful. Uh, I think we need to be mindful as uh, members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that what we say can have an impact, passing resolutions, but we need the ambassadors and members of the embassy to let us know how we can be helpful. Uh, in my previous uh, life, I, I managed sales uh, individuals, and I, I would always impress upon them, yes, it's, it's your responsibility to represent the company to the customer. So it's your responsibility to represent America to your country, but it's also important that you, that you represent your country that you're ambassador to back to us. We need to have the expertise that you're going to develop as our ambassadors to these nations. So again, uh, sincerely, thank you for your past service. Thank you for your willingness to serve, and I look forward to your testimony. Thank you very much, Senator Johnson. Um, we will now ask each of our nominees to give their opening statements. We're going to ask that you summarize your testimony in five minutes, but your full statements will be included for the record without objection. And we'll begin with you, Mr. Hovener. Madam Chair, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee as U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Kosovo. I'm humbled by the trust and confidence the President and Secretary of State have placed in me and I hope to earn your trust as well. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with this committee and the Congress to advance the United States' interests and priorities in and with Kosovo. Thank you for this opportunity to recognize my wife, Laura Hovenier, who is here with me today, and to thank her for her love, counsel, support, and patience. She and our four children, Helen Sabin, Peter Hovenier, Megan Atkin, and Julia Hovenier, have made significant sacrifices in this rewarding but challenging life we have shared as a Foreign Service family. If confirmed, I would be particularly honored to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to Kosovo, a country that emerged from the horrors of the breakup of the former Yugoslavia and the ethnic cleansing of the Milosevic regime. The United States played an essential role, together with our European partners, to protect the people of Kosovo and support them in their effort to establish a multi-ethnic democratic country. I had the good fortune to participate in these efforts in various capacities, including as a member of the UN team led by former Finnish President Marti Atasari, that developed the Atasari Plan and paved the way for Kosovo's independence. The people of Kosovo have never forgotten America's role and steadfast support over the last 22 years. And as a result, Kosovo is one of the most pro-American countries in the world and a close partner. 
Following democratic elections in February, a new government has taken office with a decisive mandate, and the U.S. coastal relationship remains positive and productive. I want to particularly acknowledge the early and generous response of the people and government of Kosovo in hosting evacuees from Afghanistan. The government of Kosovo agreed to temporarily host up to 2,000 at-risk Afghans, many of whom served the U.S. government and NATO at great personal risk. But receiving refuge when in need is something that many Kosovans intimately remember. If confirmed, I intend to lead a whole-of-government effort to advance the following priorities. Continuing U.S. support for a sovereign, democratic Kosovo, as this remains essential to regional stability and key to our longstanding strategic goal of a Europe that is whole, free, and at peace. Supporting the EU-facilitated dialogue to normalize Kosovo-Serbia relations, which, to quote President Biden, should be centered on mutual recognition. Normalization is essential to regional stability and security and will pave the way for both countries' integration into Euro-Atlantic and European institutions. If confirmed, I will encourage Kosovo authorities to engage constructively, flexibly, and with urgency. Continuing to help Kosovo rebuild from the COVID-19 pandemic, when Kosovo requested our help, the United States delivered. In September, the United States donated over 500,000 life-saving Pfizer vaccine doses to Kosovo. This shipment was the largest single COVID-19 vaccine donation to Kosovo by any country or organization. If confirmed, I will continue to support the government of Kosovo, Kosovo's citizens, and its independent justice institutions as they work to strengthen the rule of law, improve governance, and combat corruption. I will also work to advance human rights for all citizens of Kosovo, particularly emphasizing ethnic and religious minorities. In 1999, our commitment to human rights led us to intervene with our NATO allies in Kosovo, saving innocent lives. We remain committed to this. I will work with our partners in Kosovo to foster economic growth and an improved enabling environment to help address Kosovo's high unemployment rate and assist Kosovo in securing a sustainable and green energy future to attract investment, create jobs, curb migration, and reduce environmental damage. Finally, if confirmed, I will support the Coastal Security Forces' continued, gradual, and transparent development to a multi-ethnic NATO interoperable territorial defense force. By building on Kosovo's first international deployment together with U.S. forces and its first hosting of Defender Europe 21 exercises, we can help Kosovo transition from consumer to provider of security. Thirteen years ago, the people of Kosovo claimed their right to determine their own future and status as a sovereign and independent state. In those 13 short years, they have achieved something remarkable, a capable and successful democracy with an economy that supports prosperity for all Kosovans. If confirmed, it would be the honor of my career to lead the women and men of the U.S. mission to work with the government and people of Kosovo and our international partners on these priorities. Thank you for your attention. I would be pleased to take your questions. Thank you, Mr. Hovner. Mr. Murphy. You need to turn on your microphone. I just realized that. Chair Shaheen, Ranking Member Johnson, and distinguished members of the committee, it is a privilege to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee for, as a U.S. Ambassador to Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm honored by the confidence and trust the President and the Secretary of State have placed in me. And if confirmed, I pledge to work closely with this committee and others in Congress to advance the United States interests in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I want to recognize my wife, Kimberly, who devoted 30 years to public service, 
starting in the Senate and followed by a career in the Foreign Service. Without her love, patience, and support, I would not be sitting here today. I also want to thank my parents, John and Barbara Murphy, who died in 2019 and 2018, respectively, but who I am confident are watching over me now. They instilled in me the values that have guided my career, a strong work ethic, a devotion to public service, and a commitment to integrity. If confirmed, I look forward to returning to Sarajevo, where I served from 2006 to 2009. I found the people of Bosnia and Herzegovina welcoming and friendly, and I am eager to engage with them again. There has been a strong bipartisan consensus throughout my career that a Europe whole, prosperous, and at peace is in our national interests. The United States' engagement in and support for Bosnia and Herzegovina are critical to accomplishing that goal, and our leadership there is essential. If confirmed, I will make it a priority to support implementation of the Dayton Peace Accords, subsequent state-level reforms, and most importantly, Bosnia and Herzegovina's sovereignty and territorial integrity. 26 years of peace is a great achievement, but we cannot take it for granted. We must steadfastly support an independent, democratic, and multi-ethnic Bosnia-Herzegovina. We must support the Office of the High Representative and implementation of its 5 plus 2 agenda. If confirmed, I will also support the following. First, I will support Bosnia-Herzegovina's Euro-Atlantic aspirations. I will work with our allies and partners to facilitate the reforms necessary for Bosnia-Herzegovina to move towards EU membership and a deeper partnership with NATO. Euro-Atlantic integration is the surest path to the democratic, prosperous, and secure future that all of Bosnia and Herzegovina's citizens seek and deserve. Second, I will support rule of law reforms, especially anti-corruption activities. Corruption in Bosnia and Herzegovina damages U.S. national security by undermining the functionality and stability necessary for Dayton implementation, by putting at risk Bosnia and Herzegovina's Euro-Atlantic integration, and by exposing Bosnia and Herzegovina to malign external influences. Third, I will support reforms to promote economic growth, bolster trade and investment with the United States, and create the prosperity necessary for the citizens of Bosnia and Herzegovina and their children to enjoy the opportunities that come from a thriving economy. Fourth, I will work to counter efforts by local and outside actors, especially Russia and the People's Republic of China, to threaten our interests and undermine Bosnia and Herzegovina's future. I am grateful for this committee's leadership highlighting the challenges posed by malign actors and providing tools and resources to push back against them. Fifth, I will support efforts to advance reconciliation among Bosnia and Herzegovina's constituent peoples and others. The 1992-94 war in Bosnia and Herzegovina was a terrible tragedy. 100,000 lives were lost and horrible crimes were committed including the genocide in Srebrenica. The guilt for Srebrenica and other crimes rests with those who committed them, not with entire ethnic groups. The duty of today's leaders is to hold perpetrators accountable, acknowledge and honor the victims, and promote reconciliation. It is also to focus their energies on building a common democratic and prosperous future for all in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Finally, if confirmed, I will focus on the safety and security of U.S. citizens, as well as the security and well-being of the United States mission in Sarajevo, its branch offices in Banja Luka and Mostar, and the employees of all three, 
This includes hiring, recruiting, developing a diverse group of American and local staff, and ensuring our diplomatic platforms are sufficiently robust to advance our interests. Madam Chair, I thank this committee and other members of Congress for your interest in Bosnia-Herzegovina. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much, Ms. Reynoso. Madam Chair, <coughs> Ranking Member, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today as President uh, Biden's uh, nominee to be U.S. Ambassador to the Kingdom of Spain and Principality of Andorra. I'm deeply honored to be considered by the Senate for this position and grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the confidence uh, they have placed in me. Let me especially thank Dr. Uh, Jill Biden. Dr. Biden is the reason I'm here. <laughs> she is one of the most remarkable people I have ever met. And she and the president honored me by giving me the opportunity to serve at this country and this administration. If confirmed, I look forward uh, to another opportunity to serve this great uh, nation. I would like to recognize my family, friends, mentors, colleagues who have supported me over the years, many of them who are virtual at this time and in different parts of the world, primarily New York City. Uh, there are too many to name, uh, but here present with me is my mother, Rosario, and my sister, Jessica, and my son is presently in kindergarten. <laughs> um, I would also like to extend my gratitude to my dear colleagues at the White House, especially uh, those from the office of the First Lady, who I'm sure are eating popcorn and watching, and uh, my colleagues at the Gender Policy Council. Um, I, I, I uh, want to especially thank uh, my, uh, my dear friend and brother, Anthony uh, Bernal. Uh, finally, I want to thank uh, Secretary Clinton and Cheryl Mills, who in 2009 gave me the opportunity to first serve at the U.S. Department of State as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and then as U.S. Ambassador to Uruguay. If confirmed, it would be my privilege to lead the U.S. mission to one of their strongest bilateral partners uh, where our talented interagency teams in Madrid and Barcelona work tirelessly to expand U.S.-Spanish cooperation and defense, law enforcement, commerce and trade, science, education, and people-to-people -people exchanges. The relationship between the United States and Spain is strong. We share important values, including a commitment to democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. Sound economic policies, investment in people, a desire to protect the planet from the impacts of climate change, a commitment to peacefully resolve disputes between nations, and respect for the multilateral system. If confirmed, I look forward to continue the productive partnership and transatlantic alliance between our two countries, and will work diligently to advance those goals. Spain is a vital bilateral partner and a NATO ally whose government is already re-energizing transatlantic cooperation with the Biden administration as a host of next year's NATO summit. The outstanding cooperation we have enjoyed with our Spanish hosts at Naval Station Rota and Moron Air Base for nearly 70 years is a tangible example of our strong partnership, including Operation uh, Allies Refuge and Operation Allies Welcome. 
In Afghanistan, over 30,000 Spanish military personnel served alongside Americans during the 20-year mission, and over 100 Spaniards tragically lost their lives. Beyond our strong defense partnership, Spain enjoys a special relationship with Latin American nations and Latinos in the United States due to linguistic, cultural, and historic affinities. Spain and Latin American nations have a long and vibrant tradition of exchanges and training in law enforcement, defense, and other sectors. Spain and the United States share goals in protecting human rights and democracy throughout the hemisphere. The United States and Spain also share a deep economic relationship, trading over $36.9 billion in goods and services in 2020 alone. Spain is the 10th largest source of foreign direct investment in the United States, and the United States, in turn, is the largest source of foreign direct investment in Spain. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the government of Spanish President Pedro Sanchez, civil society, and the private sector to build upon our already strong bilateral relations and expand the political, commercial, educational, and cultural ties between our two countries. If confirmed, I also look forward to fostering our relationship with the Principality of Andorra and working together with Andorra's head of government, Javier Espot Zamora, to further our joint goals to support democracy, human rights, and financial transparency. Finally, if confirmed, I will work closely with this body with the members of this committee to ensure your interests and concerns are addressed and we work together to advance our interests while strengthening our partnership with Spain and Dora. Thank you for your time, members, and I'm so happy to be here and happy to answer your questions, any questions you may have. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Ms. Kennedy. I'm having, am I on? Thank you. Chairwoman Shaheen, Ranking Member Johnson, distinguished members of the committee, I'm honored to appear before you to be ambassador to the Republic of Austria. I'm grateful and humbled by President Biden's confidence in me. I thank Senator Markey for his generous introduction. I am delighted that my son Curran is here with me today, and it means the world to me to be joined by my dear friend, Senator Chris Dodd. My daughter Caroline and her husband Alex are watching from Germany, and my mother and other family members are viewing from various parts of the country. I'm thinking today in a special way of my late husband, who revered this place, and of my late father, the first diplomat in our family who was appointed by President Kennedy as special envoy to the Middle East in 1961. One of the countries my father visited as envoy was Lebanon, the land his parents left in 1920, in their early 20s, to come to America. 41 years later, their youngest son landed in Beirut to find his parents' entire village at the airport to greet him. His grandmother was in that crowd, and he met her for the first time as the representative of the President of the United States. What a moving testament to the American dream. I have five siblings, and all our lives were shaped by that sense of infinite possibility. 
I grew up in a small town, Crowley, Louisiana. I attended Catholic schools and then Newcomb College, followed by Tulane Law School. I clerked for a federal appellate judge and then became, began private law practice. I first traveled to Europe with my brother when we were college students, faithfully following a guidebook entitled Europe on five to $10 a day. That gives you an idea how long ago it was. But when we arrived in Vienna, we were overjoyed to find a letter from our parents with a little something extra in it and a note that read, so you can enjoy the music. How glorious it was to attend the opera in Vienna and hear a concert in Salzburg. From that time on, Austria was special to me. Of course, I couldn't have imagined then that I would be sitting here today, but I feel my background has prepared me well. As a lawyer in a global law firm, I've led diverse teams to resolve complex problems, working collaboratively toward a common goal. I'm a trustee of the Kennedy Center, where I've chaired the Education Committee for more than a decade. I'm president of the board of the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate, which focuses on the vital role of the Senate in our governance, fosters civil dialogue, and seeks to inspire new generations to engage in civic life. And I've been an active member of the business community in New England, serving on the boards of our regional business council as well as the Chamber of Commerce. U.S.-Austrian relations are strong, based on our mutual interests and shared ideals. We've been friends for a long time, first establishing formal diplomatic ties in 1838, and we've just marked the 74th anniversary of the Marshall Plan, with, which in partnership with Austria has turned into an investment that is an economic success story that continues to pay dividends for both of our countries. Our bilateral economic ties are strong and growing. The United States is the second largest market for Austrian exports, and bilateral trade is projected to be greater this year than last. Austria recorded the second fastest rate of growth in foreign direct investment in the United States in 2020, and that direct investment overall has resulted in the creation of tens of thousands of U.S. jobs. If confirmed, I'm eager to strengthen our trade and investment relationship even further. Austria and the United States share many common values and perspectives, including support for human rights and the rule of law. Austria is a member of the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS and has contributed peacekeepers and trainers around the world. If confirmed, I will work tirelessly to advance America's interests and values and strengthen and deepen our already strong relationship with Austria across the full range of political, security, economic, and social issues that bind us together. Thank you very much. I look forward to answering your questions. It's an honor to appear before you today. Thank you very much. Um, before we begin the panel's questioning, I have some questions for each of the nominees that I'm going to ask you to respond to, either yes or no, and we'll go down the line and ask um, that each of you verbally respond. First question, do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Mr. Hovener. Yes. Mr. Mur Murphy. Yes. Mr. Renoso. 
Yes. Ms. Kennedy. Yes. Do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes. 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 Do you commit to engaging in meaningful cons consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Mr. Hovner. Yes. 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 And do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. 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 Thank you um, to all of our nominees for answering yes to all four questions. We will hold you to that once confirmed. Um, we're going to rotate questions as we normally do um, between the chair and ranking member, and then we'll go to the other members who have arrived. Each member is going to have five minutes to question, and um, we may do more than one round, depending upon how many senators show up. Um, first of all, I am going to begin with you, Mr. Hovener. As soon as I can find my question. This is, I think this is really both for you and for Mr. Murphy because it speaks to what's happening in the Balkans and Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina have long aspired for membership to the EU and NATO. Um, but it's unlikely, I think, based on what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from um, Europeans that membership is unlikely to be granted anytime soon. So the question that I have is how do we keep um, those countries looking west? What kind of incentives can we provide to them to um, help them as they aspire to join the EU and look west so that um, they are not tempted by Russia and China I'll begin with you, Mr. Hovener. Now, thank you for that question. In some respects, Kosovo is sui generis in the Balkans because since neither Russia nor China have recognized Kosovo as an independent state, we, while we still keep an eye on things, and if confirmed, this will be a very high priority of mine to keep an eye on efforts by Russia to exercise malign influence or by China in some ways, there isn't the same natural affinity as in some other parts of the Balkans towards some of that behavior. That said, the problem you raised is something that I think concerns all of us. As you're aware, the European Union will have a summit tomorrow, and if press reports can be believed, they will reiterate and restate their commitment to um, enlargement, including the Western Balkans. I think in the short term, our task is to continue to encourage the authorities of Kosovo and if confirmed, this will be a priority of mine, to continue to do the reforms that are required so that they are ready for membership both in the EU and in NATO. Um, the European Union has played a constructive role in many ways with regard to Kosovo, both through assistance, but you're right that this um, incentive of eventual membership has been a very important catalyst for reform and change. And if confirmed, uh, one of my priorities will be to, to try to build further momentum and to work with our European Union partners 
to ensure that the prospect is real and that real reform is carried out consistent with their obligations should they obtain membership either in the EU or NATO. And on that, one last thing I'd like to add in, would be to uh, encourage those EU member states who have not yet recognized Kosovo to think seriously about the implications of that, which would also be part of our diplomacy. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, that would be very helpful. Mr. Murphy, really the same question. I was in Bosnia, Herzegovina back in 2010 with then Senator um, George Voinovich. And one of the things we heard from the Bosnians was how important it would be to have some signal from NATO about the prospects there. And we came back and argued very strongly that Bosnia should at least get um, MAP, Membership Action Plan, to help them understand that that aspiration was possible in the future should they continue with reforms. What do you think the most important um, aspects of reform are right now in Bosnia-Herzegovina so that they can continue to aspire to NATO and to the EU? Well, let me start by emphasizing the importance of continued strong U.S. engagement and leadership in the Western Balkans and in Bosnia-Herzegovina in particular. I think our presence, our engagement is critically important to motivating and pressing uh, the domestic parties in Bosnia-Herzegovina to do the right thing. Second, uh, one of the things I've confirmed that I will hammer home in my engagements publicly and privately is that the reforms associated with Euro-Atlantic integration, while it takes time to meet the EU requirements, have immediate benefits to the people of Bosnia-Herzegovina now. That includes a more open and free democracy, more uh, a more open and free economy with greater opportunities for prosperity for all, including the children of the citizens of Bosnia-Herzegovina, a better future for them. So I would continue to stress those points uh, if confirmed. With regards to NATO particularly, I want to underscore that the United States strongly supports NATO's open door policy and the membership aspirations of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, we're focused now on the benefits of deepening uh, the partnership that exists between Bosnia and Herzegovina, where there is a consensus within Bosnia and Herzegovina to pursue that partnership. Uh, the key challenge there, and one I will make a priority if confirmed, is to encourage the government to press forward with its reform program and present it to the alliance, because that will serve as a catalyst to getting more allied engagement to report the reforms necessary for Bosnia to move forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm out of time, and I'm going to go vote, but I'm delighted that we are joined by the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Menendez, and I'm going to turn it over to him as to, because I know he has some questions. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair, uh, very much. Congratulations to all of you uh, in your nominations, uh, and appreciate my colleagues' uh, indulgence. Uh, I would have had this panel before a full committee, but in order to get nominees out there, uh, we uh, uh, have the able work of Senator Shaheen doing it, So, uh, because your assignments are incredibly important, which is why I don't always come to subcommittee hearings, but I wanted to come to this one, because there's a couple of nominees here. Uh, to places that I deeply care about. So, Ambassador Reynoso, let me uh, start with you. It's good to see you again. Uh, I am concerned uh, Spain is an important ally, NATO ally, Rota Bay, you know, the, uh, all of the uh, elements uh, of our relationship is very important. But I am deeply concerned that the Spanish have not been particularly helpful, uh, particularly in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, I'm sure that the 
they would not like us acting the way they are acting towards us if it was in their sphere of the world. Uh, and so uh, I get deeply concerned uh, that Spain has taken uh, views that are outside of the democracy and human rights provisions that we would want to see of a NATO ally. I'm deeply concerned when I see uh, their actions as it relates to Cuba uh, and their you know, unwillingness to join us uh, in our global declaration. Uh, it seems to me that the Spaniards are more, uh, care more about their hotels uh, and investments than they care about democracy and human rights there. It worries me to see what role the Spaniards are playing in Venezuela uh, as well, uh, which is a cancer uh, in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, and I could go on about other places as well. Well, the Spaniards have not been as forthcoming, but if anything, not only not forthcoming, they seem to be contrary to where we're at in our own hemisphere. So. Uh, if you are to be confirmed, uh, would you tell me what you would do uh, to try to get our Spanish friends uh, more in line uh, with democracy and human rights uh, in this hemisphere? Thank you, Senator. It's wonderful to see you again. Um, and uh, let me start by thanking you for your leadership in this space. Um, obviously, this is an issue that you care deeply about, and so do I, uh, given... Um, my trajectory in Latin America and the Caribbean, I am quite familiar with um, the, um, the, the lackluster uh, 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 presence or uh, uh, politics and policy of Spain vis-a-vis -vis some of these countries, primarily Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua, I should say as well. Um, if confirmed, uh, my objective will be to work bilaterally with Spain and obviously have given their presence and their important role in the European Union vis-a-vis -vis Latin America and the Caribbean. I will urge them to be much more vocal and much more uh, transparent and to hold um, the same standard uh, in, in terms of enforcement and accountability with respect to the human rights violations and the lack of liberty and transparency and accountability in places like Cuba and Venezuela that they hold with respect to other countries. Given their important leverage and their interests in these countries, primarily in Cuba, I think Spain can do a lot more. And frankly, sir, I look forward to working with you uh, closely to make sure we can, uh, you, you can help me inform those positions and ensure that Spain is doing more than it's doing currently. Well, I, I, I hope this will be a robust, robust part of your agenda upon confirmation. We have a lot of things with the Spaniards. You know, I used to chair the U.S.-Spain Council for years in developing closer ties uh, politically and economically, but that doesn't mean that I'm willing to turn a blind eye uh, to their neglect uh, in this hemisphere as it relates to human rights and democracy. Uh, so that's something I care passionately about. I have two final questions uh, to uh, uh, Mr. Hovenier. You know, uh, we seem to put a lot of focus on, the, uh, on Kosovo, uh, but uh, I'm not quite sure that I find Serbia to be a particularly good partner in this process uh, in terms of the, uh, the efforts that are taking place. And we want both sides to, to engage. But uh, how, how do you view, I know that's not, your assignment is not to go to Serbia, it's go to Kosovo uh, upon confirmation, but how do you view that reality? Like any other problem, thank you, sir, for the question. Like any other problem in the Balkans, 
um, the problem is both multifaceted and requires work from both sides. Uh, if I'm confirmed, one of my highest priorities would be to seek to advance Kosovo Serbia normalization. My focus has, of course, been the things I will need to do as the confirmed ambassador of the United States to encourage the authorities of Kosovo to engage constructively and with urgency and creatively in that process. But I would agree with you that the authorities in Serbia equally require that sort of push and impetus. And I cannot dispute at all um, your assessment that um, the Serbian interlocutors have not always uh, performed in that way in this process. No, I appreciate that, because sometimes we, we say we want both sides to act, but sometimes, you know, it's clear that one side is not doing their just part. And I often feel the State Department takes this leveraged, nuanced approach when one side is very clearly not participating. And, and finally, uh, Ms. Kennedy, it's good to see you again. Good to see um, you. I just, I just want to say I, I hope that you will take seriously, and I'm sure you will, but I want to hear it from you, uh, when individuals come with Havana syndrome uh, at, uh, we've had a, a rash of them in, uh, uh, in uh, our embassy uh, there and in our various international organizations there where our people are serving that you will make this a very serious part of your mission. Senator, thank you so much for your leadership on this issue. And uh, thank you very much for that question. Um, as you know, my information is all public information at this point. I haven't been read in specifically, but it is an issue I take very, very seriously. The health and well-being of uh, the staff and family members of uh, the members of the embassy is something I take extremely seriously. And I do pledge to you that I will take um, extreme care and be sure that everyone uh, who has been affected by this syndrome will get the care, if I am confirmed, will get the care and attention that they need. But more than that, that I will, um, if I'm confirmed, pledge that I will urge that we get to the bottom of what is causing this and if uh, and, and really push on that and um, see what we can do about trying to prevent uh, further incidents of it. Thank you. I have other questions. I'll submit them to the different nominees for the record. I understand Senator Johnson. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, let me start with the, Mr. Hovenier. Uh, again, enjoyed our meeting this afternoon and our discussion. Uh, I think we all recognize, as, uh, as Chairman had indicated, that uh, both sides share responsibility to make concessions to move forward uh, in the region between Serbia and Kosovo. Um, it's, it's difficult to move on. There, there were, as I think we stated in testimony, there, there were uh, atrocities on both sides. Uh, it's, it's hard to just forgive and forget. And, and as we also discussed within the education systems, they're, they're really not trying to instill a forgive and forget attitude. <clears throat> I, I thought it was the right approach when Ambassador Grinnell and President Trump uh, engaged in, and got the parties to agree, focusing on the area of agreement in terms of economic cooperation. I think it's the best way to move beyond and put the, the past behind everyone if, if you really can show the, the, the people of the region, what happens if you put your disagreements aside and concentrate on greater opportunity, greater po prosperity for yourselves and, and your kids and your grandkids. But uh, Mr. Hovener, can you just kind of speak to uh, your basic uh, approach when it comes to uh, representing 
the U.S. to to Kosovo and and what we need, you know, what what we're going to be looking for from Kosovo to be able to move forward. Thank you for that question. Yes, as as we discussed um, first, the Washington commitments uh, were an important step in reducing tensions and played a very important role in help in moving closer towards uh, the outcome we'd like to see and. This administration has, of course, validated those, and if I'm confirmed, one of the things I hope to do, working with my colleague from Belgrade, is to see further implementation of that broad swath of commitments that were achieved in the last administration. More broadly, what I would like to see from coastal authorities, what the United States would like to see from coastal authorities, would be to engage actively, creatively, constructively, and with urgency in this EU-facilitated process to work towards a normalization of relations, which we believe should be centered in mutual recognition. An incident of just the last few weeks with regard to temporary license plates shows what can be done when the leaders come together and they have a real problem that needs to be resolved. They can find common ground and it can be resolved. Um, this model uh, can be applied to a range of different issues that divide the two sides right now. And as you point out, sir, this is very important. Without a normalization of relations, without mutual recognition, the region will be stymied. I always point out, I mean, folks on the areas of agreement, there's plenty of things to disagree on. But also I try and point out that a negotiation is a give and take. Give and take. I think so often, uh, you know, because of, we're, we're an honest broker. Uh, everybody wants the U.S. to get involved, but I always got the feeling they want us to get involved to take their side in things. And... Would you agree with me that, that we do need to be that honest broker and we need to press all sides to not only be willing to take, uh, but also to be able to give in those negotiations? Mr. Hovenier. Yes, sir, I agree with you completely. Um, this, this is for the other three uh, uh, nominees. I think universally we're seeing uh, throughout Europe, Eastern Europe, uh, not only what Russia is doing, but what China is doing. They have two totally different approaches. Russia just seems to destabilize just for, I guess, the sheer joy of destabilizing. Uh, China is far more focused and, I think, long-term strategic in terms of investment. And I'll just you know, ask all nominees, we'll start with you, Mr. Murphy. Uh, what is your uh, viewpoint of what it looks like in Bosnia-Herzegovina right now uh, in terms of both Russia and China's influence? Russia, Russia has a very different vision of Bosnia-Herzegovina than the United States. As I said earlier, we're for a democratic, prosperous, multi-ethnic Bosnia-Herzegovina that takes its place in the Euro-Atlantic family of nations. Russia is presenting the image of Bosnia-Herzegovina as a failed state. It's stoking ethno-nationalist tensions. It's facilitating and taking advantage of the seams uh, provided for uh, by corruption, all of which is problematic to the future of Bosnia-Herzegovina and also to our interests. Because if we believe in a Europe whole, free, prosperous, and at peace, and that's been a bipartisan national security objective for my entire career, then we need to address that and push back against malign influence. The Chinese are taking a slightly different approach in Bosnia-Herzegovina. As you pointed out, Senator, they're looking at economic investments, particularly in critical infrastructure, places like roads, power plants, uh, IT, 5G networks, things of that nature. And their, their game is a little bit, as you put it, more long-term. Uh, again, 
there, they're taking advantage of the seams uh, and opportunities presented by corruption, which is one of the reasons, if confirmed, not only will we have to push back against malign influence from both actors, but we have to be vigorous and aggressive in pursuing anti-corruption activities to close those seams uh, to the malign outside actors who are seeking to destabilize uh, the country. I just asked the other two nominees to also answer, but I, I think uh, Mr. Murphy's kind of laid out what they're doing. Uh, the question I'd have for you then is, you know, what, what should be the U.S.'s response uh, to their activities? Uh, Ambassador Renosa. With respect to um, Russia, uh, Senator, obviously uh, there has been quite a bit of coverage of the allegations of disinformation uh, with respect to the referendum in Spain in particular. Um, the United States, I mean, I know the embassy already is engaging with our counterparts to ensure that uh, the Russian tactics of um, hacking and disinformation are being addressed and that the Spaniards have the capabilities to investigate and prevent um, this type of practice. So more of that, right, more cooperation, more uh, between our law enforcement and also our also our other agencies to ensure that we are working with our one of Spain be one of our key partners to prevent these types of tact, tactics and practices I think will be key. With respect to China, um, Spain is one of the few countries uh, that has not signed the Belt and Road Initiative MOU um, and is quite, in my view, um, cautious with respect to moving forward with China, irrespective of the fact that it's a, it's a significant economic player in Spain. Um, we should continue to press allies, especially NATO allies like Spain, to ensure the, these engagements are limited and have a values-driven approach uh, to engagement with countries like China. Uh, and I should say, both with respect to Russia and China, Spain within the EU has uh, been an important partner in, um, in, in pursuing and supporting sanctions against both countries, especially with, when it comes to uh, human rights violations. Thank you. Ms. Kennedy, quickly. Uh, thank, thank you, Senator. I, we want to be able to negotiate with China from a, from a position of strength, and we need, a strong, uh, we need strong relationships with our partners like Austria to be able to do that. And um, if I'm confirmed, I'll just continue to, I'll continue to press Austria and work with them on that. I, I think it's a real global approach to it. With respect to Russia, um, countering malign influence is a top priority. Uh, and that's an issue that I would uh, also continue to raise. Austria is in a, a very interesting and, and, and unique position, uh, where it is geographically, where it is constitutionally, uh, and um, where it is historically. Uh, it is, a, uh, by constitution, a, a, a neutral country, but it's firmly entrenched in the EU, and in transatlantic relationships, and that's something that we continued, would continue to uh, foster and encourage. But it also sees itself in a unique position uh, as a place where it uh, looks both east and west. Uh, it was the place where uh, President Kennedy met Khrushchev. It's the place where President Carter met Brezhnev, and Austria is very proud of its ability to have those relationships where it can bring uh, uh, countries together in that way. So it's important that we recognize that role of Austria, and but to continue to work and strengthen our transatlantic ties uh, and and uh, work with Austria in that way. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. I understand, Senator Kane. You are next by agreement with Senator Van Hollen. 
thank you. And actually, Senator Murphy has also deferred to me, and I appreciate I appreciate that, Madam Chair. And congratulations to the nominees. This is a very strong panel. Um, Ms. Kennedy, let me start with you. What a treat to see you in this in this way. Uh, and it's it's good that you're on this panel together with uh, um, two other ambassadors serving in European nations in the Balkans, where Austria has. Uh, troops participating in yes. peacekeeping missions. It's a good panel together. I wanted to follow up on what uh, Senator Menendez asked you about the Havana syndrome, re syndrome, syndrome reports and the obligation to try to keep people safe. And just for the record, because Senator Menendez sort of short-formed it, and I do want the public to be aware of this as well, on the 23rd of September, the Washington Post reported that the CIA had removed its Vienna station chief due to concerns that he was not adequately addressing a recent spate of what the CIA characterizes as anomalous health incidents reported by U.S. intelligence and diplomatic personnel. These incidents are referred to by this committee and others as Havana Syndrome. The chairwoman has been very active on this, as we all have. We've had a number of briefings about this over the course of the past few years, mostly classified. But according to the Post article, dozens of U.S. personnel in Vienna, including diplomats and intelligence officials, as well as some of the children of U.S. Yes. employees, have reported symptoms, according to the current and former officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a sensitive matter. And the reports are uh, more significant in terms of the number and frequency in Vienna than any city other than Havana. I, I know this is going to be a huge concern for you, certainly for embassy personnel and others uh, U.S. stationed in Vienna. And so, again, if you would just talk about the priority that you would place upon uh, being responsive to U.S. employees uh, under your supervision should you be confirmed. Thank, thank you, Senator. And first, I want to say how much I personally appreciate the involvement of the committee and interest in this issue, because I think it is a very significant issue. Um, if I am confirmed and uh, am uh, going to uh, be in Vienna, I I look forward to having the opportunity of addressing this issue and, and really delving into it in a very serious way. The uh, health and safety of the personnel, their families, their children is of paramount importance. Getting prompt attention uh, to uh, these incidents to, is, is, and, and medical treatment is a, a imperative, but also getting to the bottom of it and also seeing if there are ways to prevent it but pushing, taking it seriously, pushing, and working with you all as well. And, and if I'm confirmed, I look forward to communicating with you regularly about it and, and as well as uh, with all of the people uh, back here in Washington to see what we can do to get, try to get a resolution of this extremely serious matter. Thank you so much. And I, I think I might speak in a bipartisan way for the whole committee to say we're not satisfied with the answers we're getting. We've been getting briefings about this for a number of years. And now we're talking about multiple cities, including cities in the United States, including in Virginia, where people have been subject to these kinds of attacks. And with the, with the most sophisticated intelligence operation in the world, I would have hoped that we might have had a better handle on this by... Uh, by October 2021 than we do, but your commitment to that, that will be heard well by um, embassy staff in, in Austria. Um, uh, Ambassador uh, Reynoso, I would just like to congratulate you. I'm just gonna be very brief because you sort of answered my questions about the role of Spain in Latin America in response to Senator Menendez's questions. I'm the chairman of the subcommittee overseeing the Western Hemisphere. I was, like Senator Menendez, um, honorary chair of the US-Spain Council for five years. 
And I think the opportunities for Spain and the United States to work together on issues in Latin America are enormous. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to convince this administration uh, to put a higher priority on Latin America. I think the State Department sometimes operates as if there's an east-west axis in the world and not a north-south axis. Your experience being an ambassador in the Americas and the work that you've done in the Americas, in my view, makes you uniquely well-suited to be part of the, uh, to be our ambassador in Spain. But I hope that I will be successful in getting the administration to give a higher priority to the Americas. But I, I have reason to believe, I don't need to be hopeful, I'm confident that should you be confirmed, you'll make that uh, relationship between the U.S. Spain on Latin America matters a, a high priority. Your background suggests that you will, and that gives me strong reason to support your nomination. So thank, thank you. you. And if you'd like to just say anything about that, but you've already done a pretty good well, job. Well, those were incredibly kind words, Senator. <laughs> I am um, my trajectory as an immigrant and also as a person who's worked in the Americas. Um, I'm uh, completely um, committed to ensuring that this country, our country, understands fully how important Latin America and the Caribbean is to our national security and our future. Um, and um, uh, if I am confirmed to be ambassador to Spain, I just continue to work to flourish and power those connections, sir. So, and, I, and I really look forward to working with you to make sure we do give it the importance it requires. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And with my thanks to my colleague, Senator Murphy, I yield back. Thank you, Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Madam Chair. Thank you to all four of you for your willingness and your continued willingness to serve. Uh, Senator Dodd, good to see you back uh, in um, the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, again, thank you for your service to this committee and to our state. Um, Ambassador Reynoso, I wanted to continue uh, along the line of questioning uh, begun by my colleague, Senator Kane. Um, in uh, July, Spain declined to sign a U.S.-led statement on the repression of protests in Cuba, and instead they decided to lead an EU statement that expressed concerns about the repression of the protests, but predictably called for an easing of external restrictions in order to promote reforms in Cuba. You obviously have an enormous amount of experience here. You ha have seen firsthand um, the irritant that U.S.-Cuba policy has been, um, both in our relations with countries in the Western Hemisphere, um, but also uh, occasionally with Spain. Um, and so I might just ask you to talk a little bit more about um, Spain's policy towards Cuba uh, and how U.S. policy towards uh, Cuba um, affects our ability to work with Spain in the Western Hemisphere. Agree with Senator Kane. This is an opportunity for us to integrate more broadly with Spain uh, on Western Hemisphere policy. I worry, though, that uh, Cuba stands in the way. U.S. policy towards Cuba stands in the way. Uh, Senator, make sure I get this right. Yes, Senator, um, as you know, uh, Spain and Cuba have a history together. It was one of the last Spanish colonies in the Western Hemisphere. And, um, and there are affinities that go beyond the political and economic, right? So the cultural and national connections as well. Um, Spain's position, as far as I understand it, is that um, we share with the United Spain shares with the United States ideals of uh, human rights and liberty. Uh, as concepts, but in terms of tactics with respect to how they manage their affairs with Cuba, it's been, we have had 
important differences. Um, it has been much more tolerant, if you will, of certain uh, actions by the government and encourages more robust dialogue than we have been uh, willing to engage in. Uh, that said, um, in, in, in July, when there were important protests in Cuba, uh, we and Secretary Blinken led a, an effort to have countries from uh, allies from throughout the world sign a statement and, and Spain refused, did not do so. It went with the EU statement. I do think the fact that they helped issue a statement is something, right? It's, it's important that they did um, collectively push the EU to issue a statement. Uh, the, my position is that we can be even more aligned because optimally our uh, main objective is to see real reform in Cuba, both for the improvement of economic conditions of the Cuban people, but also obviously the need for greater human rights. Um, I, I, if we, I think we share those values and those objectives. How we get there is something we have to work on. Um, given that, I think the rest of the hemisphere, frankly, sir, um, has, has so many economic issues and struggles at this time that um, Cuba may not be as relevant as it was um, 20, 30 years ago on the ideological front. Um, I think in that regard, Spain is an important partner for us because it is one of the most um, um, active for, uh, foreign governments in the, in the region in terms of assistance and political relations and the like. Um, I really, if confirmed, uh, uh, hope to work with Spain and make sure that Cuba and the Cuba uh, situation is not, a, is not a point of conflict with the rest of the region, but a point of focus to push forward for greater um, aligned interests and, 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 again, driven by our collective values. Thank you. Um, I apologize. Um, I want to get in. Uh, thank you for that answer. Um, I look forward to working with you. I want to get in one question uh, to at least one of our nominees to the Balkans. I've uh, been fortunate enough to work with both Senator Shaheen and Senator Johnson on U.S. policy towards the Balkans. No surprise that inside the Pandora Papers were a number of Balkan officials who had uh, been uh, potentially using public funds in order to uh, enrich their own bank accounts. Um, what's the importance of continuing a pathway to EU integration on our efforts to try to address what is still often far too rampant corruption in the Balkans with respect to Kosovo uh, and Bosnia. It seems that as the dream of Europe um, disappears for some, so uh, is the pressure relieved on many of our partners there to continue to make anti-corruption reforms. Thank you for that question. I presume I should go first. Uh, what I would say is the pressure is not released and relieved, and it should not be relieved. This is a critical part of our long-term project of seeing these countries integrated into European and Euro-Atlantic institutions, but also being the sorts of partners we want them to be. And if I am confirmed, an important element of our foreign assistance and our diplomatic engagement will be to partner with the government of Kosovo and civil society to address corruption, this is a, a primary concern of the current government of Kosovo as well. The prime minister was elected on a, a record a campaign to, to combat corruption, but seeking to enable him, but also empowering civil society to hold their government more accountable uh, and to work to um, ensure greater transparency and, and good governance. Um, we also hope that the incentive of integration of European institutions is not dead um, and we will continue to work as well as an administration with our European partners to keep that hope 
more alive than some suggest it is. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Senator, thank you for the question. Uh, let me start by saying if confirmed, uh, rule of law reform and combating corruption would be among my top priorities. It, uh, it damages the interests of the United States, the interests of the people and citizens of Bosnia-Herzegovina in, in more ways than one, and your Atlantic integration is, is one of those, as you've highlighted. Um, I think that we have to be prepared to continue the programs that we put in place to tackle uh, rule of law, uh, to promote an open economy and to create space for civic-minded democracy in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and if confirmed, I will continue to do that. In addition, uh, if confirmed, I would support using the new sanctions authority uh, that the president has uh, recently enacted dealing with corruption uh, to exact a price uh, for those ethno-nationalist politicians who are not prepared uh, to address the reforms necessary or to behave in a way that's, that's beneficial not just to U.S. interests, but of course to the people of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Thank you, Madam Chair. I think we have Senator Van Hollen on WebEx. Uh, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. And, uh, Senator, can, can I just, I don't think we can control sound at our end, but maybe you could turn the sound down a little bit at your end because it's, it's very loud. Is that better? Better, thank you. All right. Uh, sorry, I had wanted to get back uh, in person, but congratulations uh, to all of you. Uh, and to Mr. Hovenier, I just want to associate myself with the comments uh, that Chairman Menendez uh, made with respect to uh, the important U.S. role in seeking to normalize relations uh, between Kosovo and uh, Serbia. Obviously, it's been a long road, but uh, we need to keep, keep at that work. Um, Mrs. Kennedy, it's uh, great to see you again. As you well know, the United States and Austria enjoy a long history of cultural and educational exchange programs. Uh, every year, about 1,000 Austrians study at universities in the United States, and some 2,700 Americans study in Austria through programs developed by Austrian and American educational institutions. Um, I have a particular uh, recent uh, interest in this uh, because my state of Maryland in 2020 uh, signed an MOU between the U.S. Naval Academy and the Austrian Theresian Military Academy, uh, which covers the exchange of Austrian cadets um, and U.S. Naval Academy uh, midshipmen. Uh, the first cadets and midshipmen participate in this program beginning this fall, and I I'm hoping that our, as our ambassador, you will help to uh, cultivate and strengthen this relationship and other uh, exchange programs. Can you just talk briefly to uh, the significance of those people-to-people -people exchanges uh, to continuing to maintain strong relations with Austria? Thank you so much. It's good to see you, Senator. Uh, what a wonderful program that you've described and how important people-to-people -people exchanges are. I think I'll look this way. I think it's a better idea. Um, and how uh, important these people-to-people -people exchanges are, cultural exchanges, help our countrymen understand Austria, they help Austrians understand our country, and they're, re it, they're really a vital part of our public diplomacy. Uh, uh, Embassy Vienna is very, has been very devoted to uh, this type of exchange program, 
And I am thrilled about cultural exchanges. I'm thrilled about entrepreneurial exchanges uh, and business exchanges. Uh, I think there's no better way than uh, actual hands-on exposure, learning from others, getting the real that real kind of exposure. So um, I'm excited about it. And uh, if I'm confirmed, I look forward to um, having people-to-people -people exchanges and, and perhaps even expanding. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I look forward to working with you. Thank you. Job. And uh, if I'm confirmed, Senator, I, I look forward to meeting some of those cadets. It would be fantastic. Uh, terrific. Um, Ambassador Reynoso, uh, as you know, the United States and Spain have cooperated uh, over the years on security issues in Africa. Uh, Maron Air Base in Spain is the permanent headquarters of a rotational U.S. expeditionary force with the primary mission of responding to emergency calls for security assistance to U.S. embassies and other U.S. operations in Africa, uh, among other things. Uh, as you know, the French, uh, who've had also a longstanding um, uh, forces, longstanding forces in, in Africa, have signaled that they intend to draw down their presence in the Sahel. Uh, does that affect U.S. security interests in the region, and how would it affect our operations uh, in Spain, if at all? Thank you for the question, uh, Senator. Um, so Spain is, uh, as you know, a critical ally, and um, the fact that we have been working with Spain uh, for so many years, and that both um, the bases in Rota and Moran, Morong are used for um, our service people and their families who are located there, but other allies also uh, use those bases for operations in other parts of the world, and Africa in particular, it says a lot about the, the strength of our relationship. Um, Spain uh, is committed and has been committed to working with Sub-Saharan Africa and um, the, the Sahel region to uh, ensure that there is security. Uh, I think, frankly, they have been investing uh, significant resources and capabilities for to train um, in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, our relationship with Spain is so strong that I believe we can continue uh, using that relationship to increase our um, our collaboration in Sub-Saharan Africa and in the Sahel region in particular. Um, I, I do not think that uh, the French uh, position at this moment uh, will impact, obviously, our relationship with Spain in continuing uh, the security um, uh, collaboration. Uh, and I will work, if confirmed, I will work with Spain and make sure that we continue to fortify our security and comprehensive um, uh, operations in developing uh, uh, our work in Sub-Saharan Africa to continue uh, the, the, the to continue the growth of our security and, and support for the for those countries. So um, I think it's it's a matter of of continuing that support and strengthening those ties and increasing our work with them in Sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Senator Cardin. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, first, let me thank all four of our nominees for their willingness to serve our country and continuing to serve our country. We know that these are extremely challenging times, and we thank you for making the sacrifice to serve our country, and we also thank your families. Senator Dodd, it's really good to see you. Uh, brings back the time in 2007 when I was first elected to the Senate and got appointed to this committee. You were one of the senior members, and you helped me 
in my original years in the United States Senate and mentoring me on this committee. So I, it's good to see you in this capacity here in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, and let me start, if I might, with, with Mrs. Kennedy. It's great to see you. Good to see you, Senator. I was in Vienna in July, been to Vienna many times. Austria is a very important country for the United States, a strategic partner. And we've already talked about the fact that it's non-aligned, so therefore it presents some challenges to us at times in regards to its relationship with uh, Russia. Uh, and recently we've seen that Austria has been supportive of the EU in regards to sanctions against Russia. But, but I think you're going to have a challenge in regards to our relationship with Austria as it relates to trying to show unity in Europe against the aggression of Russia. Uh, I think less so with China, because I think there's more unity there. Uh, I just bring that to your attention. But I, I want to mention a second part that's unique about our mission in Vienna, and that is we have two other very important missions. We have the IAEA and we have the OSCE. Uh, I am the chair of the US Helsinki Commission, so we rely a great deal on our mission in Vienna, uh, in addition to our OSCE mission, uh, for the support in regards to the OSCE. So, I guess my, my comment is, yes, the bilateral is extremely important. We need to deal with unity in our uh, quest against uh, aggression of Russia. But we also are going to need cooperation and support between the three missions that we have. And quite frankly, the ambassador to Austria is usually is the senior partner in that relationship. So I would just ask you to recognize that all three of these missions are critically important and you can play a role. Uh, in assisting the other two missions. Thank you so much, Senator. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's good to see you. And I'm very much looking forward to working cooperatively with the, in, with the tri-mission, with the other two ambassadors, and, and coordinating with them. Um, that's something that I think will be very, very important. And um, if I'm confirmed, I look forward to that. Uh, Mr. Murphy, I enjoyed our conversation. Uh, it's interesting that Bosnia and Kosovo have a lot in common from the point of view. They both have challenges of a strong central government representing all of the population, geographical population, uh, with the challenges in the northern part of Kosovo with the Serbian population, uh, and of course in Bosnia with the impact of Serbia uh, population and the desire for autonomy. So my question to both of you, we've talked about corruption. Both countries are, have real serious issues with corruption, and we're going to work with you very closely on that. But in Bosnia, we need to work to constitutional reform. In Kosovo, we need to have a government that is respected uh, all of the communities and has the confidence of all the communities and can provide services to all the communities rather than relying on Serbia to provide a lot of the services to the Serbs that are in Kosovo. So what is your strategies to advance the unity of, the, of the, those two countries so they ultimately can make full integration into Europe and hopefully membership in organizations such as NATO. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Senator, and I too enjoyed our conversation, and I, I hope to welcome you and other members of the committee in uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina if I'm, if I'm confirmed. Um, I want to start by just stating up front, because you spoke about unity and territorial integrity, I, wanna, I think it's really important to state clearly that we are fully committed to the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And rhetoric and actions that put that at risk and put at risk Bosnia's Euro-Atlantic integration 
something the citizens uh, want and make clear that they want, and the politicians claim to support, is both counterproductive, self-defeating, and itself quite risky. Now, having said that, our immediate focus in the short term is on uh, limited constitutional reform designed to increase the stability and functionality of, of the country, ensure greater uh, equality for all citizens, uh, and enhance democratic standards, and meet a key target uh, in, in Euro-Atlantic integration. This has to do with the European Court of Human Rights cases that found elements of the Constitution discriminatory. Uh, in addition, uh, we're also pressing for reforms in the rule of law area, in the economy, and others that are critical to the stability and functionality of the state, uh, and that would open up the political space to more civic-minded uh, parties and participation, and inject greater dynamism and energy into the economy, which would generate prosperity for more of Bosnia and Herzegovina citizens. And if confirmed, I intend to, to support all of those activities, and I also very much look forward to working closely with you and other members of the committee on, on these, uh, these reforms, but also to discuss longer-term possibilities for additional reforms uh, that are going to be required to advance Bosnia-Herzegovina along the path of Euro-Atlantic integration. Mr. Havaner. Thank you for that question. May I first beg your indulgence to simply note that my career in government began as an intern at the Commission for Security and Cooperation uh -huh. in Europe, and so I'm delighted to be able to you should have put that first on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you pointed out exactly what the challenge is. Kosovo is an independent country, and the authorities of Kosovo ought to govern their entire country. And the challenge is, of course, elements of the country that are either not interested in or I, at times the, the authorities in Kosovo find themselves actively subverted in exercising authority over their entire country. This needs to be done very carefully. The European Union facilitated dialogue has made real progress with some of this, and there is a multi-ethnic police nationwide that exercises authority, including in the north, a customs service, um, judiciary, but there is still work to be done, particularly with municipal governments. And if I am confirmed, one of the challenges will be to work uh, with authorities of Kosovo and uh, for my colleagues in Belgrade to work with authorities in Serbia to move this EU-facilitated dialogue forward and further narrow the differences. We accept that Serbia has um, desires to support the Serbian community in Kosovo. That is, that is reasonable, but it needs to be done in the constitutional framework and under the legal um, jurisdiction of Kosovo. One last thing I would say is another priority of mine would be to encourage the authorities of Kosovo to make abundantly clear that they are a multi-ethnic country uh, and that all citizens without regard to ethnicity enjoy the same rights and privileges. The Adasari plan, the constitution of Kosovo, the Kosovo legal framework is actually quite good in this regard, and there's a number of rights guaranteed in law for, for ethnic communities. Um, implementation hasn't always been what we would hope, and if I'm confirmed, this will also be a big priority to help ensure that the ethnic communities in Kosovo who have every right to be in their country, to exercise the rights as a citizen, feel safe in doing so. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Senator Cardin. I don't think we have anyone else waiting for a first round of questions. I do have several more questions that I would like to ask in a second round. Is there anyone else who has? Senator Johnson, Senator Cardin, do you have a second round that you would like to? Um, 
I want to go back then to the questions about the directed energy attacks, the anomalous health incidents. Um, I think um, Senator Ken or Ms. Kennedy, you got a number of questions about that. What you didn't get asked is whether or not you have been briefed by the attacks that have happened in Vienna. Senator, I have my information um, on the attacks is in a, on an unclassified basis. Okay. Can I ask each of the rest of you, have you been briefed about anomalous health incidents and what to do if you are attacked or if any members, uh, any employees who were working with you were to be attacked? Ms. Reynoso? I have been briefed um, broadly, but I have not been given specific instructions as to what to do in case of an incident. Mr. Murphy. I'm familiar with the communications that the department has provided to the field over the last several months about incidents and how they will respond to them and, and what's expected of us. Uh, but I haven't received a classified briefing on incidents elsewhere in, in Europe. And have you been told that if confirmed, you will be briefed? If confirmed, I will seek such a briefing. Okay. Um, how about you, Mr. Hovener? Uh, just as with regard to Mr. Murphy, I'm aware of incidents more broadly, and I'm very aware of the guidance that's been provided out to all of our posts from the Department of State of what to do. And, of course, in my last job as the Deputy Chief of Mission in Ankara, paid very close attention to that guidance as to what we should do if an employee complained or if we felt an incident took place. But I've not been formally briefed at a classified level. And if confirmed, I would absolutely seek such a briefing before heading to post. Thank you. I assume both um, Ms. Kennedy and Ms. Reynoso have the same response on requesting a briefing. Absolutely. I will request a briefing. Absolutely. Yes, Senator. Thank you. Um, I have My final question is for you, um, Ms. Reynoso, because there has been a lot of discussion in recent months about strategic autonomy on the continent of Europe. Um, usually in the context of national security, but not always. And I know that, or at least it appears that different countries in Europe define that term differently. Can you discuss how your perception of how Spain defines strategic autonomy? Um, thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, so, as you know, Spain is. Uh, quite active as a member of the European Union and also a NATO member. Um, uh, it is my understanding that, um, it, as like anything else, these two institutions share um, a lot of, well, members in common and also uh, quite a bit of values and goals in common. Uh, that said, um, uh, with respect to security in particular, NATO is um, the fundamental and essential institution uh, that we, uh, as the United States, um, uh, support uh, going in terms of our broad strategic relationship with Europe. And it, obviously, for my purposes, uh, the platform I will use to engage uh, with, uh, with Spain, especially uh, in the short term, if confirmed, given its um, hosting of the NATO summit next year. Um, any um, movement in terms of creating other vehicles for um, security cooperation or security independence from the NATO platform that European members might take on, such as um, 
such as Spain, uh, uh, obviously uh, will be helpful if ultimately it will lead to greater expenditure and um, defense uh, and security uh, support and uh, and spending overall in connection with their commitments and targets. However, um, uh, my position will be to uh, have NATO and make NATO and, and be and use um, that platform in my relationship and my work in Spain have confirmed as the primary institution of security cooperation and, and support. Thank you. Um, with that, thank you very much to each of our nominees for your testimony today. I look forward to working with all of you, should you be confirmed. And for the information of all senators, the record of this hearing will remain open until close of business tomorrow, Wednesday, October 6th. To my colleagues on the committee, if you have any questions um, for the record, please submit them on time. To the nominees, I urge you to answer any questions expeditiously so that your nominations can be considered before the full committee um, when we hold a business meeting. With that, this hearing is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.